Hi, I'm Holly Grimaldi Flores. And I'm Cy Musiker, and, and this, this is Curtain, Curtain Call. Call. We're back, highlighting the most exciting, the most worthy shows and events here in the foothills, the valley, and beyond. It's a wonderfully packed month with lots of great shows to choose from, including a candy store at a museum, plus the gifted students of the Nevada Union High School Theater Department. They're wizards at what they do. But the Omicron surge has delayed a few shows, too. We'll talk to the directors of In Concert Sierra about how they ensure their shows are safe and when it's right to cancel. Earlier this week, 28 people in the county were taking up bed space at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital with COVID, among the highest numbers in this nearly two-year run. Yeah, so this is no joke. Not at all. KVMR has been exposed as well, and we've become versed in remote recording. That's why we're here at Size House. As the saying goes, the shows must go on. Yeah, now act fast if you want to see this great local band. Down in Memphis, Tennessee, there lives a gal named Cindy. With a meat shop on the block, she's always got the gifts. There's a meal called Southern Deland you can't resist from trying. Every time you pass the door, you could hear me Cindy Bright. Go to meet Lumbo, come see me if you ain't had none. She make a dumb man speak, a lame man run. And show me plenty if you ain't had none. All hail the Earls of Newtown. They're a very talented, very swinging band based in Nevada City and led by Earl Ford. Uh, These guys just want to have a lot of fun, I think, with their music. It's a, a little bit of gypsy jazz and a bit of western swing. I have danced in the streets to the Earls of Newtown. Yeah, with your clothes on, though. Of course. (laughs) They're debuting Broad Street Suite, a new work that the Earls say pays tribute to Nevada City's main drag, its freaks and foes. The Earls of Newtown play tomorrow night, Saturday, February 5th, at the Nevada Theater. And I want to shout out to the Alan Rickman tribute at the Crest Theater in Sacramento. Rickman died in 2016. It's a big, big loss for movie fans. He was always one of the best things in the Harry Potter and other movies. The tribute features Rickman in Galaxy Quest, Sense and Sensibility, and Die Hard. It's a great trio. That's at the Crest Theater, Sunday, February 6th. Or you can make your own streaming film tribute at home. Rickman is worth it. And so now we've got a very local show called Puffs about a boy who is whisked off to a wizarding school, and we're not talking about Harry Potter. Holly, what is Puffs? So this is a story not about the famous boy with the scar that goes to a certain wizarding school, but about a group of underachievers who happen to be at the same school during those seven years. It's fun and funny and culturally hip, and so unless you've been completely isolated since 1996... (laughs) You will enjoy many puns and references to all who must not be named. I've always been a huge fan of Harry Potter. Um, I've only read one book, though. <laughs> but um, it's, it's really fun to make fun of it. I've always grown up with him, with that universe. So like knowing that, being able to get all the jokes, making this alternate version of the world that we all know and love, it's really fun and interesting. I've been really enjoying it. Like everyone else said, I grew up with the series. And with everything that has happened in the past year, it's been so nice to just relive my childhood and just all those memories. That's senior Skylar Mira, junior Krissa Rogers, and senior Soren Jacobus. We asked the kids about performing theater in person again after a year and a half of remote classes and radio dramas. Here's Krissa Rogers again. Coming back to school, like in masks and everything, Like, you try to keep people safe, but you're also so happy to be back in this environment with your friends, and you're able to talk to them, and you're able to see them in person. 
And so going back into theater with everybody, even with the masks, like it's still like a great thing to just jump back into and have this experience again. It feels right. We should be together. While the actors receive the glory, this show comes with literally hundreds of lighting and sound cues that have the tech kids working pretty hard. In the words of Nevada Union drama teacher Rob Metcalf, these kids have waited a long time to put on a performance for a live audience. And this is not all that unusual. Theater has been suppressed through the ages to the point to where if you were caught acting, you could be put to death in, in history. So theater has gone through trials and tribulations that far surpass this. So let's get some butts in those seats. Puffs continues at the Don Baggett Theater at Nevada Union High School through February 12th. It's a cheap thrill with tickets for as little as five bucks. Find out more at nudrama.com. Yeah, and now the Scottish folk of Alastair Fraser and Natalie Haas. Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas are like family here in the foothills. Fraser runs a summer fiddle camp up on the ridge, and the two play a lot of local shows. So it's easy, I think, to take them for granted. But they are among the very finest fiddle and cello players in the world. Fraser tells really great stories, explaining the standards they play, and they both write fresh and really lively new tunes. is known as the Michael Jordan of Scottish fiddling. Which I don't know what that means, actually. He He's plays basketball good. with his fiddle. Yeah. He's very good. As much as I love to hear them play, there is something hypnotic about listening to him speak. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good Scottish accent? Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas play the Auburn State Theater Wednesday, February 9th. And if you're in the Bay Area, they're at Freight and Salvage in Berkeley on Thursday, February 10th. And note that both concerts require proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test for all attendees, plus a mask. Speaking of family, it's Family Fun Day at the Center for the Arts on February 12th <laughs> with the amazing Bubble Man, who is honestly really amazing, juggler and storyteller Izzy Twinsky, born and raised here in Nevada County, and the aerial group Air Aligned. This will be fun for people of any age, and it's free. Yeah, and if you're looking for some romance for the Valentine's weekend, also at the Center for the Arts on February 12th, don't miss Love is in the Air, a Valentine's cabaret with Tamara Foyer and guests, including a performance by Air Aligned, double booking that day, a really busy day. And if you want to get out of town for the holiday... on February 12th in Reno at the Grand Sierra Resort, jazz saxophonist Kenny G. He's smooth and prolific and part of the soundtrack of the holidays in my household. Yeah, I, I, am, I have to say not a fan of Kenny G, but, you know, there's this great documentary about him called Listening to Kenny G. So like him or hate him, he's still shaping popular culture in so many ways. Here's someone else with a big following. 
Yeah, we actually have some news of a major booking coming to Grass Valley. Melissa Etheridge, the raspy-voiced activist, country walker, is coming to the Center for the Arts. That's One Way Out off Melissa Etheridge's new album. I'm a huge fan of Melissa's. If you saw her at the Vets Hall when she was here a few years ago, you will absolutely love her at the Center for the Arts with that unbelievable Meyer sound system. I'm very excited to see her again. She'll be at the Center for the Arts March 19th. And you'll be dancing in the streets or in the aisles anyway. Booking Melissa is a coup for the Center, but every arts presenter is dealing with empty seats and canceled shows these days, all because of the Omicron surge. So how do arts organizations decide when to cancel a show? We talked to Julie and Ken Harden, husband and wife team that run the business and artistic side of In Concert Sierra. They decided to postpone a January concert by the choral group Chanticleer, a show we talked about last month. We asked them how they made that decision, and Ken Harden goes first. The decisions about this kind of thing are always made by the board. We are a board-driven organization and the board has ultimate responsibility for that kind of thing. So the decision always ultimately goes to the board. Now, Julie and I and, and or other staff members will usually make recommendations or proposals to the board, that kind of thing. And the board ultimately decided at that meeting that it was just too risky and really bordering on irresponsible for us to go forward. This is a choral group, of course. Right. Being in a public space, a large group of people with a group of people who are singing is probably not the best thing to be doing in a pandemic that's caused by a respiratory illness. Very good point. And uh, when we spoke with Chanticleer about the idea of the postponement, and they were wonderful, completely on board and felt that it was a very responsible thing to do. So I'm wondering how... And Concert Sierra has fared through this going on two years now. Well, we've been actually doing okay budget-wise. Our board is very conservative, as are we. Fiscally conservative. Fiscally conservative, yes. We do have reserves, and that has helped tremendously. Plus, we did a lot of the same as other organizations with uh, various um, state and federal grants that helped tremendously. Unfortunately, a sold-out audience means half capacity for us. So normally we would have 500 people. Um, now a sold out audience is 250. Well, that obviously is very difficult to- um, We can't sustain that. Right. Forever, but- But we will be able to get through this portion of the pandemic and whatever that means exactly. I shouldn't say we will <laughs> because we don't know what that means. But let's say that it's through the rest of the season, we will be okay. So what are you hearing from your own audience members about uh, their concerns about COVID and about how you've handled it? The feedback we've gotten from our audience is 99.9% positive. Um, People thank us regularly for being firm and consistent about the precautions that we require our audience and performers to take and staff to take. Um, The fact that 
the board has been very present. The, our board members are the ones that do the vaccination checks the, at the door. Many people have expressed to us that they have questions about going to public events like this, but that they feel very safe going to an in-concert event because of the precautions we take. Um, the fact that we're reducing our audience in half so that there's plenty of rooms for social distancing. Cutting so, on concession Yeah, we sessions. don't do an intermission. I really <laughs> miss the cookies. I know. I know everybody <laughs> says that, but they <laughs> also say we totally understand yeah. and support your, your decision. We did, at a couple of the concerts, we did hand out cookies as people left the building at the end of the concert. Well, we got two treats, if not cookies, from our conversation with Julie and Ken. The first is the good news that In Concert Sierra has rescheduled their Chanticleer concert for Tuesday, March the 1st. Details will be up soon on their website. And the next is that they're planning to go ahead with their February 20th concert, a performance by Xavier Foley, a double bassist, and Avery Fisher, career grant winner, with Angie Zhang on violin. Julie Harden, who suggested Foley for the February concert. And she suggested this young man as a double bass soloist, which is fairly unusual in the classical music world. I like the unusual. And a couple of the things that really got my attention were, of course, his playing is just sumptuous. And I like the fact that it's unusual a little bit. And then as I looked further at him and what he does, He's a very entrepreneurial young man, which again is unusual in the classical music world. Most of us are sort of nerdy and and this young man is a businessman as well as a formidable musician. And I just, I love that. The energy involved in all of those things was just intriguing to me. Xavier Foley is also a black musician and composer in an overwhelmingly white, conservative, classical music world. Here's a bit of Foley's composition, Lost Child, a piece he'll be playing at the in-concert performance. Xavier Foley and Angie Shang perform February 20th at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Grass Valley. One other thing Ken Harden said to us is that he's focused on only booking U.S. performers for next season because COVID has made getting visas so difficult. Yeah, the Sacramento Valley does not get much respect in the art world, but it should. From 1962 until 1992, 
Adelisa McHugh ran a little gallery in the town of Folsom called The Candy Store that featured artists from the Bay Area and others teaching at both UC Davis and Sacramento State. And Sacramento's Crocker Museum has just opened a new show featuring more than 100 works by famed artists like William T. Wiley, Robert Arneson, and Maya Peoples-Bright, who showed their work in this tiny gallery. We got a preview of the exhibit with the Crocker's chief curator, Scott Shields. And Scott, let me just ask you to start by telling us about the candy store in Folsom uh, and how a candy store, really a, a real candy store of all places, became the candy store gallery back in 1962. It was a pretty amazing story. There's a woman named Adeliza McHugh who is not a traditional gallerist at all. Um, she went with her sister to Folsom, found a little house at the end of Sutter Street and, and liked it. And she said, well, maybe I'll buy that and I'll, use, I'll sell candy there because she had a family recipe for almond nougat that everybody seemed to like. I I love almond nougat. But the health department didn't, and um, so they shut her down. And so she decided, well, what could I do now? And she said, well, maybe I'll sell art. She loved art, but she didn't have any experience selling art. So she went to the Crocker back in the day and saw an artist named Irving Marcus. And she found him, and she approached him, and she said, would you show at my gallery? And he, he said... He was a local artist. Yeah. A local artist, and he was in a show at the Crocker Kingsley exhibition at the Crocker in 1962. And he said, well, what's the name of your gallery? And she had a, stumbled around for a minute. She says, well, the candy store gallery. And he said, oh, well, maybe I'll give you something, and if you think you can sell it, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. So she got something. She took it. 30 minutes later, she called him, and she said, I sold your piece. And he said, you did? And, it was quick, yeah. Yeah, and so he was hooked, right? So, um, and then he introduced her to a lot of other artists. What he didn't know was that she sold it to her sister. But she was a very savvy businesswoman, and she yes. knew she needed to get an in fast, and she did. And Robert Arneson, one of the most famous artists that she exhibited, uh, who's known internationally now, said, I wasn't really sure about this this little lady that was selling stuff out in Folsom. So she, she said, I gave her some kind of terrible, raunchy pieces, and she sold all of them. And so then he was hooked. And so for 30 years, she sold really out there artwork in a place that was very unconducive to, to that sort of art. Well, and you said raunchy. And in fact, tell me about the style of art that she became well known for, Miss McHugh became known for. She was selling funk art, art that was comic, cartoony and a little rude. Sometimes a little naughty. Not always. She liked color, so most of the things in the show have a great amount of color in them. Um, She liked politics. She liked things that were a little on the edge, a lot on the edge. She says, you know, if I'm... She says a lot of people come to the gallery and they like Kool-Aid art, art that has no sex, no violence, no politics, no nothing. Pastel flowers. Yes, and she says, if I'm going to drink, I want wine, and if I'm going to sell art, I want it to have a kick. And so that's where the subtitle comes from, is really from her. She said all the art she was going to sell was going to have a kick. And this term became pretty well known, a funk art, for uh, San Francisco Bay Area and northern Sacramento Valley artists. Uh, Tell me, uh, how do you define what that is? Somebody once said that funk art is not something that's easy to define, but you know it when you see it. (laughs) And I think that's true. It it is, um, in terms of our region, it's often made in clay. There's a lot of clay artists who are funk artists, David Gahuli, Robert Arneson. But some of the artists didn't feel like it fit them, so they did an offshoot of funk, and they called it nut. 
So there's funk art, there's nut art, but Adeliza was one of the first people to sell funk art anywhere and to do it where she did it in this little house at the end of Sutter Street in Folsom was pretty amazing. We're here in the gallery and our listeners can't see the pictures, but show me what you think of as the quintessential funk art piece in this show, if you have one or two pieces. Mm, yeah. Well, let's go over here to the Robert Arneson section. This is moving into funk. So this is really early Robert Arneson pieces and they are really deliberately um, clunky he used commercial glazes and commercial clays, and he did things with clay that had never been done before. And it was really shocking to a lot of people. Things like toilets with, with feces in them, and he did Coke bottles, and things that were almost pop, but more rough and tumble than pop, if that makes sense. And I see a faucet and a, a, with a faucet handle on one side of it. It's just yeah, wacky. It's, it's, it's kind of wacky. It is kind of wacky, and there's, there's like, you know, biomorphic body qualities in there, and then there's some, some commercial, like you notice the faucet. And then he, a lot of our Arneson students kind of followed up in that funk vein, like uh, David Gahuli, you know, we have Frog Buddha, and so you have this gold luster ceramic frog on a pedestal um, as as Buddha, and then we've got other gahulis in the show. We got yeah, he's got a gahuli where he's got two frogs who are that are like little statuary that sit on a wedding, on a wedding cake. cake. Oh, that's yeah. over here. That's a that's a good one. Gahuli like to be a little provocative, so there's a lot of naked frogs running around chasing each other. Anatomically with, not correct because they're not really frogs; they're human frogs, they're right? Human frogs, yeah. With they have amorous intentions, and the, um, Gahuli loved frogs, and so his work was. He really made his career on frogs. He called it frog frogmology, um, or frog cosmology, one of the two. The idea that anybody's going to buy a frog wedding cake with amorous frogs crawling all over it seems like a, a tough sell, frankly, in Folsom. But Adeliza had this ability. One of the, her artists said, you know, she would block the door to make a sale. But she also made it really easy for people. So sometimes people would wander in and they'd say, I'm here to buy some candy. And she said, oh, we only sell art. And, they, and some would make a hasty retreat once they saw the art. But other ones she managed to convince to really look. And then they would buy. And sometimes if they weren't quite on the shore, she would say, take it home, live with it for a while. And if you decide you want it, you can pay me a little bit a month until you've paid it off. And that, I hear that story from a lot of people that you know, no was not in her vocabulary. She would make it work for you. We talked already about Robert Arneson. Uh, another example of, of a piece that might be harder to sell but is so amazing is a, a self-portrait by Arneson in ceramic of him picking his nose. Where's that? Oh, yeah. That's actually a, a lithograph, oh, lithograph of him picking his nose. Oh, there it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and another one of him sticking out his tongue. And then the ceramic piece is, a, and actually it's a candy store piece, and it says, well, fancy seeing you here at the candy store gallery. And then in his sunglasses reflected is the candy store building. As, as it really looked, with, yeah. the, front, with the front lawn and a walkway, just like a yeah. little bungalow in, in a California a suburb. Arts and crafts bungalow, really, yeah. is what it was. And it was only two rooms to sell art in. Um, with paneled walls, and the walls weren't very thick, so they were, it was difficult to hang all these heavy ceramics on them. So it was nothing was supposed to work, but it, it did. Here we are now in front of a piece by Maya Peoples-Bright, and it's called Beast Map, and it's, it seems just like a colorful, oddly designed map of the world until you notice suddenly that North America and Europe are look like they're devouring other parts of the world. So, yeah, they're beasts in a playful way, but maybe also a representative of colonial 
aggression against other less developed parts of the world. I think that's definitely in there and one of the things about Maya's work is that um, it's so colorful and so whimsical that people sometimes miss the dark edge to it. And this one, they are, the, literally the, con the continents are kind of devouring each other. And then at the top, I think those are her lips blowing wind down into the, into the world. So how, how does this show about the candy store change the way we think about modern art in the 20th century? That's a really good question. I think what it changes for me is how broad and diverse you know, the 20th century art is. And it doesn't have to be just one thing. There's room for pure minimalism. There's room for abstraction. There's room for humor. And it's humor, but it has a dark gravitas that underlies it. You know, it's, it's to point out our kind of human frailties at the same time as um, making us aware of how we could be better. Candies that delight the mouth. These are artists who delight the eyes, but also get you thinking. They definitely do, and sometimes they lure you in, and then they smack you around once you get in. Scott Shields, chief curator for the Crocker Art Museum, the candy store, Funk, Nut, and Other Art with a Kick, opened this week and continues at the Crocker Museum through May 1st. For the nostalgic Happy Birthday Janice that was postponed last month is having one night only at the Nevada Theater. Sula Gate Halford embodies Janice, who would have turned 79 this year. Yes, that's, I mean, to me, that's amazing that she would have been still so young. Happy Birthday Janice <laughs> is Saturday, February 19th at the Nevada Theater in Nevada City. I have noticed since I moved up here to the land of the tall pines that people really like string bands and great guitar playing. So here's a really great example. My mind faded in the blackness Just the moment I was gone When I woke from my traveler's seat I knew there's something going on That's Grass Valley's Kyle Ledson with his band Broken Compass. He's such a fine guitarist and mandolinist. I hear a touch of Dan Hicks in his music, and he's fronting an amazing young band with 16-year-old May Lynn Herrant on fiddle. Ledson's also playing with Django Ruckrich on guitar. Ruckrich is just 17, but he lives up to his namesake, gypsy jazz guitarist Django Reinhardt. Are so local, Kyle Ledson and Broken Compass is opening for the all-country Tahoe-based Dead Winter Carpenters. It's not too shabby a pairing. The Dead Winter Carpenters with Kyle Ledson and Broken Compass play at the Center for the Arts Friday, March 4th. And we want to wrap up this show with a song that we stumbled upon recently, a great rewrite of the Johnny Cash song, I've Been Everywhere. Instead, it's I Ain't Been Nowhere, and it really expresses how I feel, Holly feels, how many of us feel about the pandemic and the way it's just dragging on and on. Here's Rhonda Vincent with I Ain't Been Nowhere. I was traveling along, playing. 
kiss and took away my livelihood. Somebody picked it up and spread it worldwide. And now for a while we have to all stay inside. You ask me how I'm doing and if I've washed my hands and I say, listen, bud, I've had about as much as I can stand. I'm That's Rhonda Vincent singing, I Ain't Been Nowhere. And this has been so much fun, Holly. We try to give you a wide variety of where to go, what to see, but the truth is there's so much entertainment right in our backyard, we don't have to go nowhere. Yeah, we'll be back next month for another round of Curtain Call featuring more great shows. I'm Holly Grimaldi-Flores. And I'm Cy Musiker. And And this this is Curtain Call, coming coming to you from KVMR-FM, Nevada Nevada City. City.